tonight. Acts chapter 15, we'll read some verses there in just a little while. I do want to share with you that Carrie Phillips is back in her place of service. And if you are on social media, on Facebook, you might look her up and attach yourself, friend or whatever it is that you do with all of that, and follow her through. Uh, Carrie had some physical issues just before she was supposed to return. Her family, because she is a single missionary teacher, uh, her family every other year will fly her home for Christmas. And she'll be home for about three weeks and goes back. And uh, she always tells the folks that she's coming back. And uh, unfortunately, this year with the physical issues that she had and having to wait on the Center for Disease Control uh, to give her clearance and all of that kind of thing, she was extremely late going back. And she posted the other day several videos of arriving back in the city in which she lives. And it was, uh, it was fun to watch as she drove in and her steering wheel, somebody built her car wrong and the steering wheel is on the wrong side of the vehicle. And uh, there's a ravine ditch between the road and the compound in which the missionaries and herself live. And uh, the school wall is there. That's the school that she teaches in. And then there's several other things through there we've seen pictures of before. And as she approached the area, she started blowing her horn. And uh, all the kids came to the gate and came outside and were sort of running beside the car with her. And with great joy, she stopped and greeted them by name. And they, they had to get a hold of her. They had to touch her. And then uh, she turned into the gate where her house is. And people were there waiting to greet her back. And uh, she's back in her place tonight. And we're, we're thankful for that. And uh, I was thinking of her as that song, uh, Be Still, Be Still My Heart, Be Still My Soul. And uh, she's been waiting, not knowing if she would get back. Uh, whatever infection this was that she contacted on the field uh, hit her body and she did not even know it. Uh, she has some other issues that she has to live with daily, uh, which require a lot of exercise to maintain her mobility. And uh, she does that. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, she hasn't been very uh, open with all of this, but uh, the infection that she's had attacked her heart in some ways and just slowed her down. And uh, she is thrilled to be back in her place of service. And so I want you to pray for her as, as she adjusts. We have been reading scriptures over the last three Sunday evenings, and we've been talking about ten ways that uh, Christians oftentimes lose their joy. Some additional scriptures tonight, in the book of Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy. Joy does not come from the outside, joy comes from the inside. There's a lot of things that we let affect our happiness, but we don't have to allow them to affect our joy. And God doesn't tell us that we're always gonna be happy. But he does tell us that we can always experience and possess his joy. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. John chapter 16 and verse 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive. There's a purpose that your joy may be full. Now, two weeks ago tonight we covered the first five. Let's review them quickly if we can in a few of the verses that we mentioned. The Bible tells us this, no man can steal your joy. 
It's something that God gave you, and no man can take that from you. So what is it amongst Christians that causes us to lose the joy of the Lord? And we gave you five that first evening. Number one, the lack of a devotional life. And we talked about an in-depth devotional life, not a surface devotional life, where we haphazardly, without a plan and without direction, read the Scripture, and there's no application made to it. So, lack of a devotional life. Number two, we talked about an unthankful spirit uh, that we often develop. Uh, ingratitude, we focus our hearts and minds on our needs rather than our blessings. We also talked about that night, number three, dreaming outside the will of God. The phrase that we use there is one that the world uses, and that is the grass is always greener over the uh, fence. We'll leave it that way tonight, right? And I told you the truth is the grass is always greener over the septic tank. And we look for greener grass. It doesn't mean it's better, but it's greener. And we think if I could just get there, if I could just get to that point, dreaming outside of the will of God. Number four was comparing ourselves to others. And we ended that evening talking about our thought life and often, how often, impure thoughts keep us from keeping that joy that God gives us. We said, okay, we'll stop here. We'll come back last Sunday night. And we had the rest of them in order. And we got through number six. Number six was this unresolved conflict in the Christian's life. We spent the whole evening looking at how biblically, scripturally, to resolve conflict. I like this about God's Word. He not only tells us to do something, He instructs us of how to do it. Our problem is this. Most of us wing it. How many of you in this room tonight, you have read the entire owner's manual for your car? I got a new vehicle, and the guy said, I want to take you for a ride, and I'm going to teach you some things about this car. And I wanted to say, listen, Jack, I've been driving for 35, 40 years. I don't need you to tell me how to drive a car. I will tell you this about somebody. Recently, in past 15 years, they put alarm systems on cars. We were at my wife's grandmother's funeral and her uncle had purchased a new car. He too had not, later he told us, he had not read the owner's manual. And while we were at the graveside, which was only about 15 feet from his car, he hit the key fob in his pocket and it set the alarm for the car off. And he had no clue how to shut it off. And so the car alarm, he's ignoring it. Everybody knows whose car it was. The amazing thing about Scripture is this. It tells us exactly what to do. But very few of us saturate ourselves with God's instructions. And therefore, when the moment comes, and I'll just use that illustration, and the panic comes... And the alarm is sounding, and everybody is looking at us, waiting for us to do something we have no idea what to do, because we don't know what God's Word says. So that actually brings us back to number one in our devotional life. But last Sunday evening, we looked at number six, unresolved conflict, and we spent 
a large amount of time there learning, confessing our part of the conflict, listening for the hurt of others, trying to understand the issue from their perspective. We finished out last Sunday evening talking about fixing the problem and not fixing the blame. So many of us would rather fix the blame and the problem goes untouched and we continue to have unresolved conflict and we lose our joy. So tonight may be short. We have seven, eight, nine, and ten. So let's get started. Number seven. Number seven, failed relationships. Failed relationships rob us of our Christian joy. The Bible says in the book of Romans, in chapter number 12, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now the phrase, if it be possible, it suggests two things. First, that we should mend every relational conflict that we can. Notice it doesn't say if it's desirable. It says possible. The second thing is, this verse indicates that there are times when it is impossible. And that's why I wanted us to be in Acts in chapter 15, because even amongst Christians, sometimes there are failed relationships. In Acts chapter 15, come to the latter part, if you would. Verse number 36, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to take off on the road again to the second missionary journey, so to speak, and they're going back, and Paul said, let's go back and let's revisit all the churches and the people who we led to Christ, and let's see how they're doing. Verse number 37, Barnabas. Now, let's talk about Barnabas for a few moments. Barnabas' name and his character was one of the encourager. He encourages, he uplifts. He is a true people person. So you have Paul the apostle, the great preacher, and Barnabas, and they're ready to leave on this journey. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them first in Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. Now I want you to read verse number, uh, verse number uh, 38, if you would. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sophia uh, confirming the churches. They went about doing uh, why are we reading those verses this morning? To understand, or this evening, to understand this. Even in who we would consider the strongest Christian that ever was. And, and understand this. Paul was probably in error. And I'll give you the grounds by which I say that. Paul was probably, see Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas is one that he knew and he thought failure is not final. And John Mark is not worth just throwing away. 
And if anybody's going to reach him, if anybody's going to help him, if anybody's going to strengthen him, Paul, it's going to be you and I. Now notice, it doesn't tell us all about their conversation, but it does suggest some things about the conversation. It says this, and the contention was so sharp. Can you imagine what the conversation must have been? For two men who were given to ministry and given to the Lord to come to the point they say, okay, and, and here's what they did. They, they, they are, they are uh, moving, as we said last week. There's not going to be restoration of the friendship, maybe, but there is going to be a reconciliation. There's going to be, okay, we have to agree to disagree. And we have to split. And so Paul and Silas went a direction and Barnabas took John Mark. Why do I believe tonight that Paul was probably the one wrong in the decision? Because later on, Paul is in prison and he's nearing the end of his life. And you remember what he instructs? Bring the cloak. I'm cold. Bring the books. What's he talking about? Bring the scripture. And then he said this, bring John Mark, for he is profitable to me. In heaven, we'll know a little bit more about that. But somewhere in the ministry of Barnabas, coming alongside John Mark, there was eventual some kind of restoration. Because Paul, Paul doesn't say it about Barnabas, and I'm not saying it wasn't there. But he said, bring John Mark, for he's profitable unto me in the ministry. We see that failed relationships, human relationships fail, but Jesus will never fail. Ruptured relationships can and do kill our joy. Preacher, what do you say? I'm saying this. Even when there is a Paul and Barnabas turning and separation. You have to keep your focus not on the man. You keep your focus on Jesus Christ. If Paul had focused all of his attention on the contention, if Barnabas had focused the rest of his ministry on the contention, John Mark would have never come along and improved. But neither of them kept their attention focused on the disagreement. They agreed to disagree and to go their way. And in the end, we see their ways begin to cross again. Barnabas may be gone by now, I don't know. Number seven was this, failed relationships. Number eight, neglect of priorities. Joy can withstand a lot of loss, and joy can withstand a lot of sorrow. But one thing that joy cannot long stand is instability. What am I talking about with neglect of priorities? When our priorities are not right, we get miserable. I have watched over the years, I'll use a couple of relationships, 
I have watched men who refuse to grow up and men who refuse to mature. Now, there's a lot of things in life that I have enjoyed, but I want to remind you of a scripture tonight. The Bible says this, when I was a child, I behaved like a child. And I believe that saying this, I had the interest of a child. I had the character of a child. Listen, you can expect a child to act like a child. A child is not going to act like an adult. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't be put on them and pressured on them. They're going to be a child. But the scripture that says this, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I, I, in that, using that verse a number of years ago, I talked to you about uh, Justin. And if you don't know Justin, he's a car nut. He has been since day one. Uh, he still, will, he can go in the attic and he, ha I don't know that he's ever thrown away a car. And he's got all the little cars from all of his life. We used to sit out in the front yard on the driveway and play cars through, and then he, when he was old enough, there would be a car for him to ride. And then he graduated from riding a toy. We, I went and got an old, <laughs> I got an old lawnmower and took the deck off of it. And he was a NASCAR fan at the time. And we painted that old lawnmower rainbow colors for a certain driver that drove for DuPont whose name we will leave off and he drove that thing all over the yard he thought everything was a four-wheeler you know that's okay to see a young man a child sitting out in the drive playing with Hot Wheels how old is he now? I lose track of the age of the kids. He's 28. If I find Justin tonight sitting out in the driveway playing with Hot Wheels by himself, <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> How many would agree there's something wrong? He got his first car before he ever got his license. And he drove it back. He put 100,000 miles on the car, driving it back and forth in the driveway. If, if that's all he did now, every one of us here would think, something's wrong. When I was a child, it was totally expected of me to behave like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And men, let me tell you something. I have watched a number of men ruin their marriage relationship because they never got their priorities right in the relationship. I can very clearly and quickly give you an illustration of a marriage tonight that was destroyed by fishing. I can give you an illustration tonight of a marriage that was destroyed by basketball. 
And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. Until they become your priority. Again, joy can withstand sorrow. It can withstand loss. But it cannot withstand instability. Neglecting our God-given priorities is going to bring to us not joy, but frustration and guilt and frazzled nerves. And none of those can exist in our lives at the same time with the joy of the Lord. The responsibility of life and ministry, all of those things that makes it necessary that we seek God's wisdom with our priorities. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be there eventually on the Wednesday evening services as we walk through Ephesians. It says this, seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. I don't believe I'm taking more liberty than ought to say that. I believe that redeeming the time means this. Get your priorities right. Have priorities that are right. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, and, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We have to live as Christians, if we're going to have joy, we have to live with this, the eternal in view. You know, most of us are living for tomorrow. And I want you to, in your mind right now, just rehearse the last seven days since we were here at this place with these passages of Scripture. And I want you to evaluate something. How much priority in your life in the last seven days was set on the eternal? I'd like to just sit down and give you about three minutes to go through that. How much time did we spend, how much priority was spent this week on things that are eternal? How much of our time and our priority was spent on things that are earthly? And most of us in the last seven days we're living for today and we're living for tomorrow and the priority for the eternal is put on the bottom priority a few weeks ago and as we finished out our missions month we talked about priority and we often call what we're given in the scripture the great commission but it is the great mission we can't be happy we can't be full of joy if the priority and purpose of the Christ who saved us is not at place in priority in our lives, we will battle for joy. And so we have seven failed relationships, eight neglect of priorities. What do we need to learn time management? We have time to do what we want to do. We have time to do what we like to do. But do we take the time 
Do we prioritize the time to do what we're commanded to do? Number nine. I told you we'd be quick tonight, and you didn't believe me. Number nine. We're not finished yet, though. The lack of personal engagement. The lack of personal engagement. We live in a generation that has lost the ability of personal engagement. How many calls did you receive this week that were recorded calls? I got one this week that said this, wait, don't hang up. You requested information about a free knee and back brace. Now, one, I did not. You say, preacher, we know you and you're cheap, and it said free. I didn't ask anybody for those things. It is amazing how many, and now they call them robocalls. I was looking at some curriculums this week, and we do, we order a lot of things from Striving Together Publications. And I was researching a curriculum that is new, and I wanted to read through it and study it and see if it would be something that could be a blessing to us. And as I'm reading, all of a sudden on the side of the page where I'm reading, a chat box pops up. And it said, hello, my name is, I can't remember what it was, Linda will say. My name is Linda. I work in the office at Striving Together Publications. Are there any questions that I could answer for you right now? Well, I did have a couple questions. I find myself over here typing back and forth. There are, in this generation, there is so little personal contact. Now, technologies are good. I will tell you this, I don't live by them. Technologies are good. They can be, I love the fact that uh, I can go home tonight and I can watch a church service in Brazil with Joel Dickens. There's a number of missionaries that will put reports tonight. And I, I like the fact that, boom, they're right there. Occasionally on Wednesday evenings, I can pick his up. And before we start our service here, I can watch a little bit of their service there. That's neat. It's incredible. I can send a message. Uh, one of our missionaries, Henry Ward in, in Japan, he and I, a week and a half ago, were back and forth, messaging back and forth, and to think in just split seconds. But where did we ever go with personal engagement? And by that I mean face-to-face -face conversation. One-on-one -on -one with someone. It's easy to get buried in paperwork, and it's easy to get buried in personal work and find ourselves not engaged in people work. Investing ourselves in people is going to give us joy. This has become a faceless generation. We have become numbers. There's a lot of business that you do, and you will hear this. What are the last four of your social? You know, I sat down yesterday, and I tried to remember my whole social security number. 
And I have thought about my kids for a long time. They don't know their whole social security number. What's wrong with these people? And for the life of me, I can't remember the first three numbers of my social security number. You know why? Because every time I use it, somebody says, what's the last four? I have become the last four numbers. I was in the hospital several times this week, passed by a nurse's station. And they, I passed by one that said, 2121 needs such and such. That was Dave Kelly's room. 2121 needs such and such. It didn't say Mr. Kelly. He became a room number. We become a social security number. <laughs> if you ever go to DMV, you're a number. First thing, there's joy in leading someone to Christ. When is the last time that you actually led someone to Christ? Psalm 126, verse 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, doing what? Rejoicing. Bringing his sheaves with him. You know why I think a lot of times we don't have the spiritual joy that we ought to have? is because we're leading so few people to Christ. And the Bible tells us clearly that if we have a heart for people and we bear the seed, we take the gospel, we do our part, God will do His part, and that we'll return, we'll come again with rejoicing. There's also the joy of nurturing and discipling Christian and spiritual growth. A couple of verses, Philippians chapter 4. And let me say this about the book of Philippians. If you want to dig deeper than we're going on Sunday evenings in this service, just start reading up Philippians 1 and read the book. It's a book about joy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writing, and he had seen them converted. He says this, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown. These are people that he had led to Christ. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. We know that, again, it's Paul writing. He says, For what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says to them, You're my joy. Seeing you saved was my joy. Being able to disciple you and see you grow, that's, that's the joy. Paul was willing to spend and be spent for a personal one-on-one -on -one engagement. Number 10. If you think it's quiet now, it's getting ready to get even more quiet. What robs us of our joy and finishes us out? Material expectations. Material expectations. Expectations of any kind will set us up for, the, for our joy being sucked away from us in disappointment. My wife and I were listening to a news article. I don't know the whole scope of the story just what the local news put you know people think they're entitled to material gain 
You may have seen the, the story yesterday on the news. A woman who was going to put her baby up for adoption. And she did. And there was an adoptive family. From the news story, the adopted family had already given her things to help her through the time that she would have this child and to make sure that she was healthy and well, well taken care of. And yes, the material things included money, but also things. The couple wanted to document it all the way through, and they had plans for this child to know that the child was adopted, and they scheduled with a photographer and did a photo shoot. And here this couple who have not been privileged with a child before suddenly find themselves overcome with great joy the thought that here in a few months we'll have a child. Until it was discovered that there was no child. The lady was not even expected. There were no hopes for a child. And she sat down in front of the news camera and the, the news personnel asked her, do you think what you have done is wrong? From what I understand, legal charges have been brought by multiple parties in this thing, and she is facing up to 30 years in prison. And so the question, do you believe what you did was wrong? And she sat with the most perplexed look on her face so as to say, why would anybody ask that question? And here was her answer. Well, morally, it was probably wrong. But I don't see anything wrong with it legally. We talked back and forth a couple minutes about what the story is. And Sonja said, why would somebody do something like that? Do you know the bottom line? The robberies on the interstate in Florida a number of years ago. Consistently. We were waiting on the news every day to hear. When they finally caught them, it was a few young men. And here was their attitude. These people are coming to Florida on vacation with their excess money. They have means to care for themselves back home. So what we have done is not wrong because we're just taking from their excess. Now I've given you two unusual or strange illustrations of it. But this world is whacked out when it comes to material possessions. And unfortunately, the church has followed. And Christians have followed. We have to be careful and beware of a discontent spirit. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I knew we'd get there eventually. Paul's contentment freed him to rejoice and to write the words that we find in the book of Philippians. May I remind you where Paul has been so much of his ministry. 
more of his ministry time was spent in prison than it was in freedom. There are more stories of persecution and hardship than there are wonderful stories. So how was it that Paul would be able to write then what he is about to write in Philippians chapter 4 and come to verse number 10 if you would. Now when I say, look up at me for just a minute, when I say Philippians chapter 4, is there a verse that pops to your mind? What is it? 13? What does 13 say? Okay, and Paul says that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 is one that comes to mind for me. We'll look at that together as well in a moment. Well, let me, but my God, Paul writing, but my God shall supply all your needs. You know what he's talking about? Material things. But read with me beginning in verse number 10, remembering where Paul had been. And he writes to the church, the believers in Philippi, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. That means it happened before. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. If I'd been Paul, I want to not be shipwrecked anymore. I want to not be snake-bitten ever again. I want not to be beaten in the prison ever again. I want never to be stoned again. If I'm Paul, if I'm just honest with you tonight, if I'm Paul right, there's a lot of things I want. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I both know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And verse coming down all the way to 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And then we move on to 19, which is one of the more popular verses that we quote to ourselves about material things. And Paul says, God having taught me, and I have learned to be content, and whether it's fine dining or scraping by, I have learned this. But my God, and let, let, can I paraphrase it? I'm not taking scriptural, unscriptural liberty, but let me, let, let me put it in, in thought tonight. But my God shall supply all of your material needs. And how's he going to do that? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Material expectations, joy is the inheritance of every child of God. Now listen to me carefully if you would. God expects us to be good stewards of everything that he gives us. 
When we become stewards, good stewards of what gives us, God gives us, our joy will be full. Let me say this. Now listen to me careful and don't be offended by what I'm getting ready to say. Well, go ahead and be offended because I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. If you in your material, financial life are not right with God, you will not have joy. Am I being clear? The Bible talks about a man who will rob God. Listen to me clearly. I want our Christian people here to be people who know what it is to be filled with God's joy. If you are not tithing, you will not be filled with God's joy. Let it sink, let it sink, let it sink. There are a lot of God's people today who are not experiencing the fulfillment of joy in their life and they're finding trouble every time they turn around. I, might as, I, I stepped off the boat into the water. I might as well get in over my head. It is God's tithe. Whether you give it or not, it's His tithe. May I tell you this? God will have his tithe. You may not give it to him. You may end up giving it to somebody else. There may be a trouble that comes along. There may be numbers of different things that come along. And I can tell you this by pastoral experience. I know people tonight who do not know the joy that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit because they aren't tithing. And let me say this. The man is to be the spiritual leader in the home. But I think the husband and wife ought to share the knowledge and the burden of tithing. Every husband ought to go to his wife or wife go to the husband and say, let's look at what we did for the Lord last year. Remember Paul told the church, you're ahead of what you did a year ago? Uh, sit down and look. Look through your, the, the giving records for last year. And you know what some of you, you know what some of you, if you look through that, you know what you would do? You'd be full of joy. God allowed me to do that? God allowed me to give that? I, I, I didn't realize I could do that. But there are some that would look at that and their hearts would fail. Because they'd have to say, I did that to God? After all, he has done for me, and I do that? Is that a good place to stop tonight? The book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, and the last scripture verse. Nehemiah, chapter 8, and verse number 10. For the joy 
of the Lord is my strength. I told you at the onset three weeks ago, I think one of the things that is turning off the world, those that are lost, is they, they see the faces of Christians who have no joy. Boston sat in my lap for lunch today. Now, Remy likes to play with my ears. He said, Papa, you got big ear balls. And he'll pick at my ears. Boston sat in my lap today at lunch. And he put his hands on the sides of my cheeks and he pushed them up and he said, put on a happy face, Pop. And he go, happy face, sad face, happy face, sad face. I'm going to come your way to your pew. <laughs> happy face, sad face, happy face, sad face. There are a lot of young people that are brought up in church who when they reach the age that they think they're adults leave the church. And I hear this question, why? Can I tell you one of the answers I've come to? Because they see a bunch of Christians who don't have the joy of the Lord. And of all they want in their life right now, it's joy. And let's just put the blame where the blame is due. They look at parents who have the sad face, who complain, who are bitter, who constantly talk and kick other people. And they know what the scripture says because they've been taught it all of their lives. And they, just like a lost world, say, I don't need that. I'm going to go somewhere that has some joy. Well, I don't know how God will use these three Sunday nights in your heart, but I know what he's taught me. And I hope that he has taught you. I hope these ten things, and I never intend, I intended for this to be one night. If I ever tell you we're going to have a 50-week series, you might as well count like next six years off. But the more I study, the more I understand this. God wants us to be a people of joy. And where we're not, I think it's a sin. I've come to that conclusion. A lot of us may have joy in our heart, you just may need to tell your face about it. God told your heart, God told your mind, but somehow your face missed the memo. And so if you see somebody like that tonight, go by and take this finger and this finger and teach them. Happy face. Sad face. Happy face. They'll get the point. Let's use these ten things. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just say, well, preacher said this. Study them. But more than study, apply them. Make them personally applicable in our lives. And let God's Word change us. God's Word will bring us joy. Next Sunday evening, 
we're going to talk about some positive things. We've talked about what robs us of our joy. Now we're going to look at some positive things. How is it that we can build our joy and strengthen our joy? Let's bow our heads. We'll pray together. Ask Brother Crane to come, and he'll take the invitation time. Luke will come, if you would. Brother Pauline, you help him. We'll have baptism in just a few moments. But let's pray. And don't just listen to me pray. Pray from where you are.